they're in Kansas, and uh, they still have some things to do when they get, as they've been married now, to go back and, and work on some more of that. So I'm looking forward to that for them. But anyway, we miss you. Uh, thanks for letting us go to that, and uh, we appreciate it. So now, would you take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. Matthew chapter 3, and verses 1 to 10. I'm not looking at that particular passage this morning, but I just want to remind you uh, at what John the Baptist was to Jesus Christ. And he was the one that prepared the way so that people would be ready to repent and come to faith in Christ when Jesus came. And their ministries were very close together. Jesus said of John, he said to people, what did you go out to see? A reed shaken by the wind? No. What Jesus was saying was that you didn't go out to see a reed shaken by the wind. You went out to see what a man of God really looks like, and it's John the Baptist. And we're going to talk a little bit about some of those things this morning. If, if you were a person who wanted in the Old Testament to stand in the gap as a prophet of God, in other words, someone who stood between the people of God and God himself as maybe a mediator, as maybe a teacher, as maybe somebody who pled the cause of the people and pled the cause of God, one thing is for sure. If you're going to do that, you better have the call of God on your life. Uh, many ministries have been shipwrecked and gone down the, the tubes because the minister was not called of God. Uh, many times we had people at the seminary that were called by their mothers as oldest sons to be ministers. Most of them wash out in two to five years and they don't make it because God didn't call them. If God calls you, there's times that's the only thing you're going to have left to stand on in your ministry, that call of God. It's vital. It's critical. You must also have thick skin. Uh, so that every little, every little prick from every little problem that comes on your skin and tries to tear it uh, doesn't, doesn't tear it. You must be secure in who you are in God, in your relationship to God, in your value in God, because sometimes God is the only one it would seem that would value these Old Testament prophets, and even in the New Testament, the only one that would value them. And uh, if that's not coming from people and it's just rejection, then you need to have that relationship and your identity absorbed in God and who he is. Most of all, you need to be a person who will not bow to the pressures of men when it comes to delivering and living the word of God. Old Testament prophets were the kind of people who didn't bend. They stuck with the truth no matter what the people thought, no matter what uh, Jeremiah's family thought in Anathoth when he went back there and they tried to kill him. Uh, no matter what, they have to be true to the word of God, despite the pressure of people. Now, I want to jump up and talk a little bit about today. Too many preachers, in my estimation today, have bowed their knees to different gods and not the God of the Bible. Some of them have bowed their knees to money and, and the accumulation of money and wealth and riches. Some of them... Uh, do not no, or no longer work for God, but they work for people. Uh, they also bow to buildings. They bow to numbers that come. They bow to popularity. They would trade the uh, pleasure of God for the applause of men in their lives, and they're not teaching the truth of the word of God. Why? Because there's too much pressure. 
There's too much pressure not to do that. Too much pressure to, you know, you need to keep your mouth shut and not talk about these issues and not handle these kinds of things because people don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear they're going to hell. They don't want to hear that they're in sin. They don't want to hear anything like that. Popularity uh, did in terms of who John the Baptist is, popularity usually means that you don't ruffle the feathers uh, or the sensibilities of people. John the baptizer, John the Baptist, did not worry about any of those things. John ruffled feathers. In fact, that's the way he lost his life. He uh, had to say to one of the rulers in the civil area in the Roman government, it is illegal for you to have your brother's wife. And uh, he said that a couple times made her mad, and pretty soon this person cuts John's head off, and that's how he died, because he ruffled feathers and said, what you're doing is wrong. He didn't do anything that modern preachers do. He was not liberal. Uh, he did not go back on the word of God. He didn't care what people thought of him as much as what God thought of him. So understand what I just said. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I didn't say that he didn't care about people. That's was, that was his ministry. He did care about people. What I said was he didn't care about people more than he cared about God. And if you're going to be a prophet of God or a preacher of God, you must care more about what God thinks of you and what God says than what people think of you and what people say. It doesn't mean you don't love people. He was a preacher. He was a prophet. He was not a people pleaser. He was godly, but not given to fleshly passions. He was courageous, not cowardly. He was a man who was completely sold out to God his whole life. John's mission was his whole life, and his whole life and his mission was Jesus Christ and him being glorified and magnified. And this mission cost him his life. So I just want to begin by asking you, looking at John the Baptist, seeing how his mission cost his life and his following of God, what has your mission cost you? Are you willing to do ministry even if it does cost you? I mean like family members, friends, acquaintances, jobs. What, what are you willing to give up for the ministry that God has given to you? I think that's what's in, in our, in our uh, pur purview here. That's what we're seeing. And we have to ask ourselves, how do I stack up with what John was? How am I doing as a child of God? My ministry is different, but do I have the same push, the same drive, and the same desire to be the kind of man that he was. So let's take a minute and let's read in Matthew chapter 3 uh, about John the Baptist in verses 1 through 10. And it says this in Matthew 3, 1. Now in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Now there's a reason John's in the wilderness. We'll talk about that in a minute. And he's around Judea. And here's what he said. Here's his message. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, what does he mean by that? He means the king is about to make his appearance. The kingdom of heaven is here because Jesus is here. And so you should repent because something very important is going on. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet when he said, now he's talking about John. John was referred to by the prophecies of Isaiah the prophet. And this is what Isaiah said. He predicted, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord, or Yahweh. Make his paths straight. That's John's mission. God laid it out by Isaiah in the Old Testament. That's what he's doing. Verse 4. 
Now, John himself had a garment of camel's hair. We're going to find out that that's the clothes that a true prophet of God would wear. Uh, they would dress very plainly, and he has a garment of camel's hair. That's going to be important. And a leather belt around his waist. And his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem was going out to him, and all Judea, and all the district around the Jordan. So you can imagine the religious leaders in town watching these people flocking outside of town, going away from the temple, away from, uh, we think, the three synagogues that existed in Jerusalem, going away from them to hear some preacher out in the country. And why are they doing that? And I guess they're getting jealous over this. Verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming for baptism, the religious leaders of Israel, when he saw them coming out uh, to be baptized, um, I, think I, I think I forgot to read verse 6. Let me do that. Uh, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. But when many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees were coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruit in keeping with your repentance. See, John's ministry is not about repenting and then living the same old way. John's is about repenting. And then let's see the activity of God in your life by the way that you live each day. Let's see how you live differently when you really truly belong uh, to God. And that's the issue with that. Bear fruit in keeping with your repentance. Verse 9, and do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. Now, we don't know this yet because we haven't talked about it, but when he called them a brood of vipers, he's talking about their families and their genealogy, and they're claiming they came from Abraham. John has a different view of that. Therefore, bear fruit in keeping with your repentance. Do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I say to you, from these stones God is able to raise up children of Abraham, the axe is already, now he's condemning them, get this, the axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit, you Pharisees and Sadducees, is cut down and thrown into the fire. He means thrown into the fires of hell. So this is a, a, a guy who really is not really impressed with the religious leadership in Israel. He's a man of God who's telling it just like it is and that they need to repent. And especially John and Jesus are, are a little bit hard, a lot hard on the religious leaders, not so much with the lay people, but those who should know better. Well, let's look at this together, starting in verses 1 through 3, if you have your bulletin there. My first point is this, people should repent and live as redeemed because the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, repentance is the way to salvation. The Greek word is metanoia, and it means that you're going to change from one direction to another. Now, some people add to that uh, the whole issue of your life being different. Your life being different is not what saves you. Your life being different is what tells us that what you did in salvation was real. So oftentimes those two are confused. We need to keep them separate. Repent, and then live as those who are redeemed. With the introduction of John, Matthew jumps at this point, so I'm talking about from where we were at the end of chapter 2 to where we are now at the beginning of chapter 1, uh, Matthew has jumped 30 years ahead in time. 
uh, where he was at the end of chapter 2. So we have nothing from Matthew uh, for 30 years of Jesus' life. Now we're going to pick it up. The majority of the Gospels talk about basically one week of the crucifixion week uh, and some other things about it in terms of content. So understand, this Matthew has jumped a long ways. In verse 1, we're introduced to a prophet of God that we have not known before in the book of Matthew. His name is John, and because of his ministry of baptizing people, he is designated John the Baptizer. Now that helps us because we also are going to have an apostle named John. Sometimes you need to figure out which one you're talking about. This is John the Baptizer, the one who does baptisms in water for the repentance of sins. In other words, you repent of your sins, I will then baptize you to show that you repented of your sins, and then I want you to go out and live for, live for God as those who have repented. Well, this man named John, and Luke tells us much more about his background. He tells about a miraculous birth that he had. He tells about the fact that when Mary showed up to Elizabeth's house and John was still in the womb, that the Spirit of God entered John and he leapt for joy when, when Mary was there with uh, Jesus, also in, in her womb, and that the Spirit of God is at work in this young man even before he's born. Jeremiah says, you called me from the womb. John was called while he was still in the womb. Neither one of those guys had a choice as to whether or not God was going to call them. God called them even before they were born. And I would say that's true of you as well and me. This John came preaching because this is what God called him to do. Isaiah the prophet said what his ministry would be. His ministry was determined before a time by God and he has a specific job to do. He was called. Uh, he was called while he was in the tomb of. In, I'm sorry, in the womb of his mother, not the tomb, in the womb of his mother, and and from that point on, God had laid out a path for what He wanted him to do in life. Friends, don't think that God hasn't meticulously laid out a path of what He wants you to do in your life. The issue is with John. Did he do what God called him to do? The issue is with you and I. Are we doing what we were called to do? He was a preacher, and the text says that he came doing that in the wilderness west of the Dead Sea in the area of Judea. Now, here's why. John and his ministry was not a ministry that was designed for the palaces of kings, for the temple in Jerusalem, for any of the three synagogues. It was not for the opulent housing projects that the priests had for themselves. Remember I told you, and you can still see this in Israel, uh, from where the temple is, uh, down, down here on the ground in the valley, there was lots of poor Jewish people that lived there, some of them not so good, kind of the rabble of Israel. So the priests, so as not to soil themselves with the dirt of the people, built themselves a bridge over across the edge of that valley to where their very expensive homes were and where they had better neighborhoods. And uh, I don't know if they had HMOs in those days, but there's only certain things that could happen there. And they just didn't want to rub shoulders with, you know, people like us. And so they went over there. Well, that's not for John. His dwelling was not in the temple. His pulpit was not in the temple grounds. Uh, and uh, in his modern day, in his day, the religious leaders of his day were those who clamored for the best seats at banquets and the praise of men. I don't know that it records John ever got to go to any banquet. I do know this. I do know that uh, John had nothing to do with the religious establishment. 
And he's not preaching in town, he's preaching in the wilderness. John was then a desert preacher. He meant to separate the people from the religious establishment of the city. It's kind of like this. Jerusalem is so corrupt. Come out of the city, come out from among them, come to the wilderness, and in that wilderness, I want you to learn the truth that I'm preaching about. It had been in the wilderness that God gave his people the, the Ten Commandments and the other 603 commandments that God gave them at Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai. And it was out there in the, in the wilderness where they were completely dependent on God for their food and for their water and for their very life that God brought the life-giving word to them. I think John is a symbol of you need to get away from the world, come out in the wilderness, and you need to find the truth of the word of God. And you need to hear what's really going on. Come back to the wilderness. Come back to that relationship with God. And I'll tell you what God has to say. I think that's the key. I think that's the connection it has. I've known lots of uh, churches that are out uh, away from cities and towns, uh, rural churches, where they really believe that if you want the truth of God, you have to go out of the city and come to their churches. Well, we'd like to think on the outskirts of town that we are still preaching the truth here. And you don't have to go way out in the country. If you want to, you can, but you don't have to go way out in the country. We are teaching the truth. We believe. Well, John says, if you want to hear the truth, you got to come to me. And that's what people did. John's garments would not include prayer tassels that the religious leaders, you know, filled their robes with so everybody could see what a great man of prayer they were. They had, he had no phylacteries on his head or his hands, those little leather boxes that they put little tiny pieces of scripture they wrote in these boxes and then on their hands, on their wrists, uh, misunderstanding and taking too literally what Jesus said, or God said in the Old Testament. And the reason that he wanted the word here is because he wants the word to guide what we think. The reason he wants the word on their hands is he wants the word to guide what they do. He didn't really mean for them to make little leather boxes, phylacteries, and tie them on their forehead. And they did look goofy when we were in Israel. They got these leather boxes. Some of them stuck out like that. They looked like kind of a unicorn that got his, you know, his horn nipped off. And then they have them on their hands and didn't live the word of God at all. It doesn't do any good. However, the form is to have the word of God in front of you and just ignore it and not do what it says. And that's what the people in Jerusalem were, were putting up with. Well, um, there were no flacteries. There were no long robes for John. There was no air of superiority. It would have, it would have nothing to do with the laws of men when John preached, but rather the pure meat of the word of God. In verse 2, John's message was simple and to the point. It was repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand, meaning it has come near. Repent. Give up your sins. Turn to faith in God. You must repent of your sins. That's our message. That's what we preach. We don't preach be good enough. The Pharisees would have liked that. Just live good lives and be wealthy and rich and you get to go to heaven. No, you don't. John's message is repent. Are you sorry for your sins? Does it tear you up that you're a sinner? Have you taken those to God and said, God, would you please forgive me for those sins? I'm trusting that your son died on the cross to pay for my sins. And now I'm going to die on my own cross for you. And I'm going to give up my life and I'm going to live yours. 
Well, this was John from the beginning. It was repent. That's what he was all about. While the Pharisees and Sadducees were in their ivory palaces, straining at gnats and swallowing camels. I hope your kids heard that today. The Pharisees are straining at gnats and swallowing camels. I'd like your little kids to ask you today, what does that mean? What did the pastor mean when he said to strain at gnats and swallow camels? Well, whatever it is, it's not what John did. John was taking care of all the essential teaching that God sent him with. And so while they were straining at gnats and swallowing camels, John is laying out the pure work and meat of the word of God. John preached the most important message of all. Here's how you can be a friend of God. Here's how you can be in God's family. Your meeting with God may be soon, so now is the time to repent of your sins and get yourself right with the judge of all souls. You know what? I don't have any idea when the trumpet's going to sound and we'll be raptured. I think it's getting close. I really do, but I'm not, I don't have a date. You know, God didn't tell me. He's not going to tell any of us. But I don't know that we have much time. As, as I look at the things happening around the world, things that are just jumping out of, of events that fit so neatly into what God predicted for the end of this world, I don't know how much time we have left. You know, last year I, I was sure that, uh, you know, if we make it past June, I'm going to be surprised. But we're still here, all right? So we're still plugging away at our ministries. That's what we're supposed to do. But it's soon. If John told his audience... Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Almost 2,000 years ago, how much closer is it today? I don't know, but it's at least 2,000 years closer. Are we ready? Are we doing anything about that? In verse 3, we find out that this man in ministry was foreordained by Isaiah the prophet in the Old Testament. He was to be crying out in the wilderness in order to accomplish the goal. Now, if you go back to the Hebrew text... What, what Isaiah actually says is that he will come shouting, shouting the message. Why? Because everybody needs to hear the message. Have you ever been out and you've got the courage to talk to the person you took out to eat and you want to share the gospel, but there's people close by, you don't want them to hear what you're doing and you're trying to share the gospel with them and you'll be real quiet? That's not John's ministry, not at all. His goal was to prepare the way for Messiah through multiplying converts who would accept Jesus as God's anointed Messiah King who was to come. He is to make ready the way. Jesus makes our path straight in life. John is preparing for people to get on the straight path. It is like a highway that is promised to come in future days. Let me uh, just turn to Isaiah 35. This is a millennial highway. It's not the one... Uh, that that uh, John was actually on, but it, but it's going to be like this. It could have been like this if they'd have believed him. In Isaiah 35, verse 8, a highway will be there. He's talking about in the millennial kingdom. A roadway, and it will be called highway of holiness. The unclean will not travel on it, but it will be for him who walks that way. And fools will not wander on it. No lion will be there, nor will any vicious beast go up on it. Uh, there will be no water moccasins there, right? These will not be found there, but the redeemed will walk there. And the ransomed of Yahweh will return, and they will come joyfully shouting to Zion with every, every la everlasting joy upon their heads. They will find gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. John is trying to get people to the point where they can be on that path if they repent of their sins 
and come to Jesus. When Jesus comes, John will have multiplied those whose souls who are now hard towards sin instead of soft towards sin. And they are soft to God and alive for God. That's what John came for. What are we here for? What are we here for? If it's not to win people for Christ. The coming of the kingdom requires that Israel would repent and accept Jesus as Messiah, which they as a group have never done, and they're not going to do it until Jesus comes back in the second coming. Verses 4 to 6. People need to confess their sins and repent of them. John's clothes are reminiscent of the clothes that Elijah wore so as to make a connection between him and Elijah. And uh, Jesus is going to say something about that in just a second here. But I want you to look at 2 Kings 1 8. 2 Kings 1 8. And they're telling a king about somebody they saw, and it was Elijah. And it says, They answered him, He was a hairy man with a leather girdle bound about his loins. And he said, It is Elijah the Tishbite. In other words, he came from the land of the Tishbites. Zechariah 13.4 now. Not far from our uh, Matthew passage. Zechariah 13.4. Also, it will come about in that day that the prophets will each be ashamed of his vision when he prophesies, and they will not put on hairy, a hairy robe in order to deceive. See, to, to look like a true prophet of God and be a true prophet of God, that's what you wore. That's how you dressed. Uh, those are things that identified you as a prophet. But there's more going on here. Jesus later noted and said that John was the Elijah to come before the end if people would accept it. And he said that in Matthew eleven fourteen. So we see that John is kind of like Moses. He's out there giving the truth in the wilderness. We see that he's like Elijah because he's a true prophet of God. Everybody believes Elijah is a true prophet of God. Believe that John is a prophet of God and listen to him and do what he says. Further, he ate the food of the poor. He ate locusts. Schistosira gregaria is the uh, name of uh, the locust that he's talking about. I know that because Amy Howland helped me pronounce it this week, all right? And uh, it is the migratory phase of the grasshopper. And those are still eaten today by the poor in Arabia, Africa, Syria, and some other places along with honey, okay? So there's a, there's a little song. A spoonful of honey helps the locusts go down in the most delightful way, <laughs> That may not be the exact words, okay? But uh, I would think if you're going to eat those, you better have a little honey. This tells us just how important and all-consuming John's ministry was to him. He's all business. Now, I don't have time today because I'm talking too much. But we're going to soon be in Matthew 6, 25 to 34, where God calls you to sell your possessions, to not worry about what's going to happen tomorrow, but keep your eyes on the kingdom. Put the kingdom of God first, and all these other things will be added unto you. And you ask yourself, <laughs> I can't do that. How am I going to do that? I have, I have to eat. My family has to eat. I've got to have shelter. I've got to have this. Uh, you know, as you say in Hebrew, yada, yada, yada. You know, you know, you know. And you ask, anybody ever do this? Yes. Lots of people do it. John the Baptist did it. 
His whole life was about the kingdom. His whole life was about serving God. He didn't have a family. He didn't have a house. He didn't, he didn't know where his next meal was coming from, but he did what God told him to do. So we can't get to Matthew 6 and say, that can't be done. Oh, yeah, yes, it can. And some Christians, as we come to the end of days, may be forced into situations like that, whether they like it or not. Something to think about. And you can read that later, Matthew 6, 25 to 34. Can you imagine what he must have been like, <laughs> this guy, John the Baptist? Uh, can you imagine this guy? There's one scene uh, in this new series that's on VidAngel about Jesus where he runs into John who's on his way to, to confront the guy that's going to cut his head off. And Jesus doesn't stop him, but he, he says, John, you're, you're really kind of sticking your neck out there, literally. And Jesus didn't try to stop him, but you couldn't stop John. This is my business. This is what I'm supposed to do. I'm on my way. And he just takes off. And he looks like what's, what's uh, described in the text about him. A man of God. Verse 5. People from all over the region were going out to hear him preach. Word is spreading quickly about this man and his message. They are seeing a preacher like they don't see in town. Anywhere. These people were confessing their sins and being baptized by John. Now, John's baptism was one of repentance. And it is not as such what we call Christian baptism. Uh, ours is a sign that we have repented and that we have uh, entered into uh, life in Christ. This was unique to John. His baptism in Jewish, in Jewish circles was unique because as you went to the temple, you would baptize yourself in these long pools they had on the south side of the temple, but John is baptizing people in the Jordan. That's why if Christians go to Israel, they think they've got to be baptized again in the Jordan. It's not the water. It's what you're doing. Baptism in Jewish circles was self-baptism, so he's doing something a little different. Jesus was later baptized by John, but did not confess any sin. Rather, he was glorified by the Father for who he was, but he was identifying with the people, yet without sin. One stipulation of salvation is that one must admit God is right and that you are a sinner or I am a sinner. That's what repentance is. Repentance is I'm walking along life's path thinking I'm going to work my way into heaven and be good. Then I'm confronted with a gospel that goodness isn't going to get me there. I have to know I'm a sinner, believe I'm a sinner, and take God's word that Jesus died on the cross for me and I can be saved. And now I'm not going to go the way of works anymore. I'm going to turn around, change direction, and go the way of God's righteousness. That's righteousness by faith and not works uh, that come out of men. That's the difference. All right, so uh, John is, is busy about this ministry. The religious leaders demand respect in town. They probably went out in the wilderness a little out of jealousy for him. We, we know they were jealous of Jesus, everybody following him. John sees them, and he calls out to them. Get this, John, here's, here's the Pharisees and Sadducees, enough that he could recognize them. He goes, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, you brood of vipers? he's not winning any friends there, is he? Well, that's not a seeker-sensitive baptism. We're, we're offending them with their sin. And that's what John is doing. Who warned you, you brood of snakes, of vipers? The word brood is literally you offspring, you child of a venomous snake, because the word used for snake there is that of venom, a venomous snake. Satan is also 
called the serpent of old, the snake. It is an identifying mark. So the religious leaders are walking, okay, get this, you're getting baptized by John. Here comes the religious leaders, and John yells out, takes time out of his busy ministry, and says, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? And you're thinking, well, John, you're, you're talking to the elite religious leaders uh, in town there. You, you might offend them. I don't think John cared. And then he calls them children of snakes, venomous snakes. Well, the word for snake ordinarily suggested a poisonous one. So what's he talking about? They look like people, but John said they're snakes. You know what they are? They're people who spiritually carry spiritual venom to kill people, not to heal people. And John uses the word he does for brood as children or descendants of, genao, children or descendants of, because he says, your whole stinking line, your whole family, the whole ironic thing, clear back, maybe even to Aaron, is putrefied with venomous snakes. You came from people that didn't follow God, and you don't follow him either. You're a snake. And maybe the people getting baptized said, right, we got to watch out for these guys. Because what they're delivering, apparently, is poisonous. I want you to know that Jesus shared this view that John had. And if you look in Matthew 12, 34, Jesus, speaking to the religious leaders, says, You brood of vipers, the exact same phrase. You brood of snakes, you children of snakes. If you're a child of a snake, you're also a snake. You brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which is, fills the heart. The issue is, you can't. You can't. There's nothing there. Go to 2330, um, 2333. This is the most scathing rebuke from Jesus of the religious leaders. And in that, he says, this whole chapter, he says, You serpents. You brood of vipers, in case you didn't hear the first part. How will you escape the sentence of hell? You won't, unless you repent. How will we escape the, the sentence of hell? We won't, unless we repent. John, obviously, was not a guy who played well with his peers in the ministry at all and get along with friends and kiss them on the mouths and make friends with snakes because he knew they were deadly. Like our uh, friend Austin, I hope, learned when he was done hanging around snakes. You don't want to hang with snakes. It's not good for you. In verse 8, the remedy to their problem is to change their mind about salvation. You can't work your way in. You can't be good enough to get in and their attitude about salvation. And then, once you have salvation, actually live the way God wants you to live. Actually, uh, you know, put, put your religion into your hands and your feet. Repentance is a change of direction. We've talked about that. And John was saying, stop going the wrong way. Repent. And start going the right way, the way of faith. Our Christian life must match our profession of faith, or it isn't true. Does the person claiming to be a Christian actually produce fruit? Okay, now we're talking Galatians 5, the fruits of the Spirit, 22 to 25. Is that, is that really coming out of my life? Do I, do I have the true disease of Christianity, or am I a part of the right vine 
And is this what I'm producing? Dr. Keener said, and I quote, too many Western Christians live a religion that costs nothing. Too many, too many Western Christians live a religion that costs nothing. Religion has to cost us something or we're, we're not doing it right. Salvation is real when a heart is changed and then shows up in that life. In verse 9, John knew that the religious leaders believed that because they were descendants of Abraham, their entrance into the kingdom was a sure thing. My great 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 granddaddy was uh, Abraham. So what? All right. I would not want to go back on either side of my family and have to claim as my relative some of the people that are there because some of them were godless and no good. Some were good. You're not going to go to heaven because Abraham was your father, John said. God could, if he wanted to, raise up children for Abraham from these stones. I think what he's trying to say is stones don't go to heaven. So what are you planning on getting you into heaven? Your family? Family ties? Your family ties to religion? Your heritage? Your good works? Your money? Your church attendance? Or are you just counting on God managing to be a good old boy and letting you in because, hey, it wasn't that bad? Some people think God owes them. God owes them heaven. God doesn't owe us anything. We're lucky there's a thing that there is, there is salvation. We're fortunate of God. And so in verse 10, John says, look, this is serious stuff. The axe, what axe? The axe of God's judgment is already laid at the root of trees. What's an axe do to a tree? It cuts it down. Why does it cut it down? Because we're going to build a fire. What happens after the fire? The tree is gone. It's just ash. It's worthless. The axe is already laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit, and you can't bear good fruit unless you really know the master, is cut down and thrown into the fire. He's talking not about trees and campfires. He's talking about unbelievers and the fires of hell. So we need to make a decision like they needed to. Judgment is coming for every person. You know, it really doesn't matter if Jesus doesn't come back and get us while we're still alive in the rapture. He doesn't owe us that. But what matters is when we say judgment is coming, what we tend to think about, well, Jesus hadn't come back for 2,000 years. Some people say, he's never coming back. He, he should have done it already. What's he waiting on if he's really there? He's not coming back. Judgment could be a long time in the future. No, it's not. Mostly judgment comes in about 70 years for everybody. And it's a very individual thing. Your judgment, my judgment is closer than you think. Judgment is coming. And the Bible says God will remove every tree that does not bear the fruit of genuine Christianity. Something to think about. Those who are not real Christians will be cut out and thrown into the fires of hell. That's something to take into consideration. So I leave you these things. Number one, what is John saying to do for the people? He says, repent, and then demonstrate the reality of that by living the way God has called us to live. If you say you're going to get into heaven by your own devices and your own good works and you're walking this way, and then you say, yeah, I trusted Jesus, 
and you just keep walking this way. <laughs> no, you didn't. You, if you trusted Jesus, you turned around, you're walking the other way. You're walking by faith, not the old life. It's different. Number two, salvation is by faith alone and Christ alone. And it will show up in how a person lives his or her life. Martin Luther championed that phrase. Number three, the world needs more preachers. And I'm not just talking about me. The world needs more preachers that are willing to say it like it is from the word of God. I'm talking about all of us. We're all to share and preach the word of God. Let us pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for this look at the life, albeit a short one, of a man of God. Turns out lives like that tend to be short. Because they don't play games, they don't play games with the snakes. And the snakes put them to death. Jesus didn't last long on this earth. He offended all kinds of people, but he saved millions. And we're part of that. We're so thankful for what he was willing to do on the cross for us, where he paid for our sins. Help us to tell other people about this great news. And I ask that we would not be cowards that we would not shrink from the task, that you would use us for things that are significant in eternity, where we are laying up our treasure with you. In your precious name we pray, amen.